Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verse 26 and consider three verses 36, uh, 38, 26 to 36, 38. <laughs> Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. And while you're turning there, I'll just say thank you for the prayers that you have offered as I have been away for a couple of weeks taking care of my mother. Many of you sent email and text and were asking, and she is doing much better. She has been released from the hospital. We now have her in a, a rehab facility where she's recovering her strength. And we moved her halfway across the state so she could be close to my brother so that when she is able to be released, she'll be able to go and live with my brother. And so uh, thank you for your prayers and consideration uh, during that time. But this passage of Scripture this morning is what we read just a few moments ago at the beginning of the service. It, I just want to read it one more time and get it before us so that we have the, the passage in our minds. So this is Luke 20, chapter 1, verses uh, 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Mary's concluding sentence is amazing to me. How she would say to this situation, let it be. I'm a servant of the Lord, so let it be to me according to your word. We'll come back tonight at 5 o'clock for an evening service, and we'll consider Mary tonight. But this morning, um, the focal point of this passage is this child. There is a child to be born. Um, that's what this portion of Scripture is about, and this, uh, this centers our attention upon the birth of this child. So we're, we're coming today in order to celebrate Christmas because of the focal point of this child. But the question is, should we? Should we celebrate Christmas? Because I discovered something uh, recently that Boston canceled Christmas in 1659. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the Puritan leadership of the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1659 enacted a law forbidding the celebration of Christmas. And the title of the ordinance was called The Penalty for Keeping Christmas, 
Uh, you can find this on mass.gov. I, I pulled it up for you to, to, get, to see. It was very interesting to me. Why in the world would the Puritans cancel Christmas? So let me read it for you. It's in a bit of an archaic language, but let's get the flavor for the ordinance. Um, it says, For preventing disorders arising in several places within this jurisdiction, by reason of some still observing such festivals as were superstitiously kept in other countries to the great dishonor of God and offense of others, it is therefore ordered by this court and the authority thereof that whatsoever shall be, or whosoever shall be found observing any such day as Christmas or the like, either by forbearing of labor, meaning not working, or feasting, or any other upon such accounts, any other days as Christmas, uh, or the like, um, of the aforesaid accounts, every such person so offending shall pay for every such offense five shillings as a fine to the country. Five shillings was about three days labor. So if we take uh, minimum wage and multiply that out, that's somewhere around $380. So imagine you're celebrating Christmas tomorrow morning and the police show up at your door and ask you, is, is this a celebration of Christmas? 380 bucks you owe to the state. And, and you wonder, um, what in the world is going on? Why would the Puritans cancel Christmas or any celebration thereof? Uh, the Puritans are often misunderstood. This is one of those examples uh, of why Puritans often get a bad name. But the question of why on earth would they cancel Christmas really has to do with what is Christmas? How would we define Christmas? Um, because Christmas means different things to different people, right? Because Christians would understand Christmas in a very different way than non-Christians. We as believers in Jesus who has the, the birth of the Messiah would understand Christmas to be something incredibly different from those who have no understanding of God, no belief in God, or no faith in God. So what is Christmas? If you ask someone who does not believe in God, doesn't believe in Christ, well, what's Christmas? You might get something like, well, it's a holiday. It's a day off. I don't have to work. It's a time to be with family it's a time to celebrate. Maybe it's a, it's a time for a party. We have the party with friends, get a little drunk. We can get a lot of stuff, right? What, what kind of answers would you get asking about someone who doesn't believe, right? A non-Christian, what is Christmas? But now ask a Christian, what is Christmas? Will you get that as an answer? No, you won't, for if we understand Christmas as the birth of the Messiah, the entrance into humanity of the long-promised Word of God. We just sang about it. The incarnation of, of the coming of the Messiah who will redeem all of those who put faith in Him from their sins. That, that we're celebrating a person. It's not merely a holiday to get a bunch of stuff. So the problem for the Puritans was not the birthday of Jesus, but rather all of the godless, sinful celebrations and everything that came with it. 
So he, an author, for example, if you think about the very first words of, what, of that ordinance that I read a few minutes ago, 1659, here's the beginning of the, that first sentence, for preventing disorders arising in several places. Well, you might ask, what sort of disorders? What, what is going on that needs to be preventing? And an author, Stephen Nesselbaum, wrote a book on Christmas, and he offers a description of the situation of what was taking place around this season. And he describes it as selfish sinners seizing on the season as a license for rowdy behavior, public uh, eating and drunkenness, mockery of established authority, aggressive begging that often included threats, meaning donate to the poor or else... Right? And then uh, even invasion of the home and robbery of those who were wealthy. That's what was happening in this season around Christmas. And so those were the things that needed to be prevented. So he, he summarized it. It was a season of misrule where ordinary behavioral restraints could be violated with impunity. So the Puritans were not canceling the celebration of the birth of the Savior. They were canceling the sinful celebrations that surrounded it, trying to prevent robbery and theft and gluttonous and drunkenness and all of those things. And so that's what was being canceled or, or prevented. So the question is still, should we celebrate, not Christmas, but the birth of the Savior? Let's rephrase the question. Should we celebrate the birth of Jesus and of course, what do you do when you're asking questions about how to conduct your life? You go to Scripture. And so are there any biblical examples of celebration of Jesus' birthday? And, and you're in chapter 1 of Luke. Turn with me to chapter 2 in verse 8, which says this. There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom God's pleased. Or peace and goodwill towards men is another way that can be translated. So is, is this what's going on here? Right. So we see an angel sent by God to earth. Now that's... That's important. Angels don't often show up, do they? Very rare. Anybody seen an angel? Don't talk about your spouse, right? Or your kids. Angels coming to earth, that's significant. So something significant is going on here. And then along with the arrival of the angel, there is this glorious light show. There's glory that's shown all around the angel who arrived. That's, that sounds important. And then third, we see there's a divine message that the angel has, and he says, great joy for all people. So this message that he comes bringing sounds like something worth celebrating, something that is great joy for all people that's worth celebrating. And then what is it? It's an announcement of the Savior who has been born. Well, saviors are good. 
That's something great. The arrival of a Savior, that's something that should be celebrated. And then also we see, in order to confirm the truthfulness of uh, of the arrival of this Savior, God has granted a sign. So he tells the shepherds, I'm giving you a sign so that you know this is absolutely true. I'm giving you a sign. That's, That's important. That sounds like something we're celebrating too. And one angel is incredible. One angel arriving is amazing, and yet an incalculable number of angels who then suddenly arrive on the scene also, a host of them, an entire grouping. A host is the same word that's used often in describing armies. When there's a gathering of of armies, that's the same word that's used. And so here's a host of angels, not just one, but an entire host. And then those angels start singing, a a, a choir breaks out, and, and start praising God. That sounds like a celebration to me. It sounds like something massive is happening, and it doesn't stop there. So all of heaven is celebrating, but then that celebration spills over onto earth. And keep reading in chapter 2 with me. It extends to men. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went in haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all of these things up, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds then returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them." So here's angels, I mean shepherds, Uh, the angels have already come. The shepherds now moved in to find uh, the sign that they were looking for to affirm the truthfulness of the message from the angel. They go with haste. They don't waste any time. They don't delay. There's a sense of urgency in uh, their desire to go and affirm the sign. So they go immediately to find what has been revealed to them by God. God has shared something and it, it requires urgency. So then they go, they find Mary and Joseph, and they tell them what the angels had reported while they were out in the fields. So they share it with Mary and Joseph, but they don't keep it to Mary and Joseph because the next phrase says, they told everybody. They spread the news because all who heard them, not just Mary and Joseph, but the many more who also heard, they were amazed and they wondered at this incredible story that they had been told. And so they're spreading the news, and then they too go away singing and praising God, glorifying and praising the Lord. So should Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus? I think the answer is yes. We have biblical precedent for celebrating the birth of Jesus. Yes, all of heaven celebrated the birth of Jesus. Choirs of incalculable angels sang and glorified God at the arrival of Jesus to earth. And the shepherds also sang. Not only did heaven celebrate the coming of Christ, but also did mankind. So it is right and proper to celebrate Christmas. There are others who would object, though, and say we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because we don't know the exact day on which Jesus was born. And so we shouldn't celebrate Christmas. And, and I, it strikes me because isn't a celebration particularly about a person, not a day? When you celebrate something, isn't it about the person who's being honored? So I offer for consideration, to help us here, 
Um, take my wife, for example. I'll give you two scenarios in which uh, I'll describe to you two options for how to celebrate or honor someone or not. Uh, so let's say in scenario one, I want to honor my wife. It's her birthday. And I say to her, uh, your birthday is on Monday this year, and uh, everybody's working on Monday. Um, it, nobody can get off. Everybody's going to be working late, so we can't really celebrate on Monday. It just won't work. So uh, we as a family have decided we're not going to celebrate your birthday at all. Since it can't be on Monday, which is your day, it can't be on the right day, so let me just, we're just not going to celebrate your birthday. That's scenario number one. Did you want to live in that house for a week? <laughs> scenario number two. Uh, honey, your birthday is on Monday this year. Um, we, everybody's working on Monday. We can't get off um, on Monday. So it, it doesn't work to celebrate on Monday. So we're going to celebrate on Sunday night. Everybody's available. I have gathered everyone. We're going we're gonna to honor you on Sunday night. Um, I hope that's okay. It's not the right day, but we're going to honor. Now, which... Which of those scenarios would my wife feel honored the most? The latter, not the former, because the former is not honored at all. So in considering, should we not celebrate Christmas because it might not be the right day? I would say it's true. We don't know the exact day on which Jesus was born, but he was born. There was a day on which he was born, and better to honor him on a day than on the only day on which he was born. And one, we don't know the, the exact day, but one of the things we do know is that Christians since 300s in the 300s AD have been celebrating the birth of Jesus on December 25th. For that long, Christians have been honoring Jesus and his birth, at his birth. And so why? Why should we if it's right and proper to celebrate and honor the birth of Christ, then why? What about him is worth celebrating? And I think this passage of Scripture gives us at least four reasons. Um, look at verse 32. So Luke chapter 1, verse 32. The first reason is because he is the Son of the Most High. Verse 32. He will be great. This child to be born... Um, who is worthy of celebrating, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So what kind of child is this? What kind, we celebrate the birth of lots of children, but what's unique about Jesus? And here we get a hint that he is the Son of the Most High. The Most High is another way of referring to God the Father. We first see that phrase on the lips of Melchizedek back in Genesis chapter 14, where he talks about God Most High, that is who he serves, God Most High. So it's another name for God, and it means he possesses all of heaven and earth. He has the highest authority and the greatest power in all of the earth. His highest authority and greatest power over every other derivative authority and lesser power. It points to the greatness of God. God Most High. And God Most High says, Jesus is my son. So Jesus is the son of God Most High. Jesus is in the family of God. And in fact... Jesus says something astounding. In John chapter 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. We are one. And he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
And so to see Jesus is to see God the Father. To know Jesus is to know God the Father. So the Most High, His Son, has now come to earth to represent God to us, which is absolutely amazing. So we went on a little trip recently to um, Holy Land and visited the Sea of Galilee, which is the lowest uh, natural freshwater lake on the planet, 700 feet below sea level. And reflecting on, on that uh, little instance, David Yee said something which struck me. Because as we were uh, going around the Sea of Galilee, I'm seeing some faces who were there with me, um, we discovered about 80% of Jesus' ministry took place around the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. And, and David Yee said, it is amazing that Jesus coming to earth came to the lowliest people. Not only physically, but everybody around the Sea of Galilee were just humble, average people. Jesus did not arrive in a city. He didn't go to Rome. He didn't wind up in, in the capital of Babylon. Right? He didn't go to New York. Where did he go? He went to the Sea of Galilee, the lowliest place on the planet that holds the lowliest people. This is the people to whom the Son of God comes. And so the Son of the Most High has condescended most lowly to be with the lowliest of all people. And if you're, you find yourself at this Christmas season lonely or alone, realize there is a Savior who has come to lowly people, humble people to draw near. This is Jesus. This is worth celebrating. This is he who has come to lowly and humble people. He's the son of the most high, but he has come most low to be among us. And second, verse 32 also, the very end of verse 32, the last phrase, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. So Jesus, the second reason, what, what child is this? Not only is he the son of the most high, but now he is also the one to whom has the right to reign on the throne of David. He has the right to the throne of David. And David, he was the best of bad kings in the, in the history of Israel. He wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And yet 2 Samuel 8, 15 describes him as this way. He says, he was administering justice and equity to all of his people. If a bad king can, can be characterized like that, then the son of that king, who is also the son of the Most High, can come and do and succeed in every place in which the first king failed. When, when David, in all of his flaws did partially well in some areas, Jesus comes as his descendant to do much better. And he has a right then to reign on the throne of David. So not only will Jesus succeed where David had failed, but also he is, he is a human. He is a physical son. He's a descendant of David. 2 Samuel 7, God promises that David's son, a Messiah, will come in order to, to join the dwelling place of God and man. Now Solomon built a temple. He built a physical building, and that was a place to go and worship God. But there are aspects of that prophecy which, which go far beyond what Solomon fulfilled. And part of this is this throne of David, which will extend and last forever. Because he is a descendant of David. So that not only does this, this child 
the, the son of the Most High, but he is also the one who has the right to the throne of David, the right to rule faithfully and truly, and to know what it's like to be among us as humans. Third, in verse 33, this child is also a forever king. Verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The king who reigns forever has power that is far beyond all of his enemies. If he reigns forever, he's never defeated. If he reigns forever, there's no one who can oppose him. If he reigns forever, his authority extends into eternity. And so his, his reign will be undisturbed. That is a peaceful realm, no doubt. And this is the, the child who will carry out that kind of reign, a forever king. He will be a forever king. So is that worth celebrating? Is this child worthy of being celebrated? I say yes. And then fourthly, because Jesus is a holy son of God. Should we celebrate him? Why? Because he is holy. Look at verse 35. The angel answered Mary and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called what? Holy the Son of God. Those are synonyms. Holy means the Son of God. To be the Son of God means to be holy. Joseph was not Jesus' father. God was. And God is holy, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Therefore, His Son is like Him. He too is holy. And the angel tells Mary that the creation of this Son will come about by the powerful working of who? The Holy Spirit. The God the Father is holy. The Holy Spirit is holy. And therefore the Son who issues from them is also to be holy. So he, he emphasizes this holy aspect of who Jesus is. Why should you care about that? I wonder if you have spent any time yet reflecting over the past year. Do you see anything about your life you wish you could change? Any sinful struggles that you persist in, any, any weakness, any sinful propensity, any sinful tendencies that fill you fight and battle with. The good news about this child is that he is holy to the core. He never sinned. He never gave in. And because of his holy nature, he grants the power and the authority to his children and those who put faith in him who receive His Holy Spirit to overcome those sinful tendencies that we think dominate our life, but in Christ, they do not dominate. Holiness has the power of persuasively moving out sinfulness. If we submit ourselves to the holiness of Christ, we will gradually grow in Christ-likeness to be more and more like Him. And, and the power of the holiness of Christ is the means by which we are personally transformed. So this child, who is he? He is holy. He is holy as his father is holy. And so there are these reasons. So in, in conclusion, what? yes, there's all kinds of reasons not to celebrate Christmas. There's all kinds of reasons to, to moan for the commercialism and the emphasis of the wrong stuff. And yet there is right reasons to celebrate or reorient your life to the right person. Jesus is the purpose that Christmas is 
for us to celebrate because of who he is. So we need to realign our priorities. Uh, secondly, Christmas is a celebration of the birth of Jesus. It's, it's not about anything other than that. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior who has come. And if a whole host of angels and all of heaven celebrates the coming and in the arrival in the flesh of Christ Jesus, then let us celebrate too. Great worship set this morning, Ian. Everybody clapping and singing and shouting. I love hearing your voices. It sounds like you in this room are glad that Jesus is who he says he is. Amen? You're glad that we can celebrate Christ this morning. So Christmas is not about sinful indulgences. It's not about getting drunk. It's not about having a party. It's not about being off of work. It's not about getting rid of all the stuff, old stuff and filling it with new stuff. All of those things are good. That's not the point of it. The point is to celebrate Christ. And, and don't orient yourself to the things of this world. Right? All of the stuff we receive, we're going to outgrow it, it'll wear out, or we'll lose it. Everything we think is so nice and wonderful, pretty soon it's all going to fall apart. Right? So uh, my, my daughter lives across the pond, and we celebrated Christmas with her last night. And she uh, sent a little prize to me, and she said, um, Dad, you, you, you sometimes you dress okay, but your socks are really boring. And she sent me a package of crazy socks. So uh, I, they're nice, they're colorful. It's like the socks of many color. They're going to wear out. Everything we think is nice and wonderful today, tomorrow, we'll, it'll wear out or we'll lose it. You won't find it. You'll forget your password to it. And all the world will come to an end, right? What's the purpose of celebrating? We, why do we give gifts? We give gifts because we have been given the greatest gift in the world, which is the Holy Spirit of Jesus to dwell within us. Giving gifts is a reminder we have been given to. And in grace and goodness, we want to give back. That's part of the joy of sharing and the joy of giving. And God is a giver. He gives. And so I wonder, have you received his Holy Spirit? Have you surrendered your life to him? Do you know Jesus is your Savior? He is the Savior, but is He yours? Have you surrendered to that little child who didn't stay a child and grew up to be the Son of the Most High, who grew up to be a forever king, who grew up to be the only person who has the right to rule forever on the throne of David. And he is the only one who is holy and only through him will you enjoy the happiness of holiness. Those two things are not contrary. Jesus was the happiest person on the planet and he was the holiest person. So holiness is happiness and it is knowing his character that will cause that joy to flow into your lives. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. And it is right that we celebrate Christmas. It is right to sing wonderful songs about the glory and goodness of Jesus of Nazareth, who died to set us free from the dominion of sin. So if you love that man, if you're trusting in him who is holy, I, I want to ask you when we sing, we're going to sing, what child is this, right? Worship him. And I want to invite you to worship with me. Consider who he is and what he has done. Thinking about, what is he? What is this, this guy, this God who came in the flesh in order to save us? God the Father is the one who sent him.
So worship God the Father through God the Son. Let's just pray for just a moment. And worship team, you can just stay seated for just a moment. Lord Jesus, we have come in your name. We are here because of you. We enjoy life and hope because of you. And Father, I I would ask that every person hearing my voice would know the joy of being convinced of having been accepted by this little child who grew to be the Son of God who is to this day seated at the right hand of the Father. And Lord Jesus, it is all of the culmination of your life, your holy living, your atoning death, your victorious resurrection from the dead on the third day that is the means by which we have hope of enjoying eternity with you. And Lord, I pray your spirit would move in our hearts. Let us not get caught up in the wrong things that surrounds this season, Lord. Please keep our eyes from being distracted away from anyone or anything else but you. And let us worship you, I pray, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.